Hey witches, it's Courtney. Today we're talking with Angel, who is not only a fabulous witch and scientist, they are also an advocate for a measure legalizing psilocybin therapy. When we interviewed Angel, the measure was called IP34, but it has since been renamed to Measure 109. Just wanted to give you all an update. Enjoy the episode. The path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and fun things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another uh, episode of That Witch Life Podcast. This is Kanani. I will be hosting today, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Courtney and Hillary. Hey, it's Courtney. Hey, it's Hill. Ha! (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with you? I don't know why that was so terrible, but that was fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wrong, it's right. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. At least I'm gonna stay. Awake. I'm gonna stay awake for this recording today, y'all. Oh, promises, promises. <laughs> so, this fabulous episode, which is already starting off like a train wreck, <laughs> supposedly is gonna share some full moon magic to help us in September. Hillary has found a badass candle hookup. And luckily, Angel Craig is coming to save the day by joining us to discuss mushroom magic. I want to bitch about the fact that Pizza Hut forgot your icing dipping sauce. I paid an extra 75 cents for you to have that. So listeners, Kanani and family are still in quarantine for another three days or so. Till Saturday, yeah. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. Three. So three days after today. Okay, so yeah, so it's it's um, so we've been all ordering her meals. I ordered and so I ordered them some Pizza Hut and got them a giant cookie and was like, I'll throw in the icing dipping sauce because I'm a good friend. And they forgot it. Not not only did Kanani not get it, I'm out seventy five cents and I'm pissed about it. Pizza Hut, I think you should sponsor an episode just to make me feel better. Just to make me feel better. Yeah, like I bought from you twice in the last two weeks for Kanani is like. Eight times as much money I've spent at Pizza Hut in a year the last two weeks. You're like, listen, you a-holes. Where's my fucking frosting? I'm a witch, man. You don't want to fuck with me. Don't fuck with a witch and her frosting. You do not know. I was just going to say, you don't, you don't fuck with a witch and frosting. Like, all, your anchovies, not... all your anchovies come alive and start rattling around in the cans. Oh, my God. The pepperoni levitates and starts hitting you in the face. What's funny is that you insisted yeah, on buying me pizza with pineapple on it. I, re- I thought that was nice. I thought that was super kind of you. Yeah, that was a lie. I didn't want to buy you pineapple on your pizza because that's an aberration. Abomination. That's an ab- yeah, abomination. We've gone, we gone so off track. <laughs> We're just getting into the zone. We're just getting, okay. 
she's just going to leave the room now. She's like, I'm over here. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this sound, but you know. If this is your first time listening to That Witch Life podcast, it's just like this every week. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, I'm never going to like, never point. Skip to the next one. Okay, I'm going to try and veer us back here. Thank you. Um, so, Courtney, what is the full moon magic that you wanted to share with us for September? Okay, so I'm excited. For some reason, the full moons in the autumn are just so powerful. I mean, I know they're powerful year-round, and there's something special about the Beltane uh, full moons. But the uh, I don't know. The, the full moons in autumn, Just there's just something very special about them. So the full moon this month is on September 2nd, so just a couple of days after we release this. It is a full moon in Pisces. So given that Pisces is ruled by Neptune, this is a very powerful time for doing uh, dream magic or any kind of work to enhance your dreams. So um, what I would recommend is, especially if you're trying to, if you're someone who struggles with dreaming or you don't get a lot of symbols, maybe your dreams are just basically repeating what happened to you during the day, but doesn't really have a lot of spiritual insight for you. This could be a very helpful moon to open some of those things up. So, um, one of the things that we recommend doing is charging a sachet under the full moon and keeping it under your pillow. So to charge it, this may mean just holding it up to the moonlight, saying a prayer over it. What you want to make sure that you do is make sure the sachet knows what its job is. So you're holding it up to the full moonlight and you say, hey, you're going to soak up this full moonlight and you're going to give me some powerful dreams. You're going to help me have more um, spiritual insight and psychic ability through these dreams. You could do the same thing with oils to rub on your temples, which is going to be very effective in creating um, more vivid dreams. I really like lavender with Pisces. I don't know why I keep seeing that. Now, naturally, you do not want to rub undiluted lavender essential oil onto your skin, but putting a few drops into what they call a carrier oil, olive oil, almond oil, or even baby oil um, is a great way to do it. And then you've got psychic juice year-round to put on your temples. So one thing about Pisces is Pisces is very psychic, but the messages aren't always very clear. So Neptune rules the unconscious, meaning the collective unconscious. So um, you may find yourself connecting or dreaming of symbols that are more associated with this general collective unconscious as opposed to symbols that you may recognize. So you could be picking up on symbols that are relevant to people on the other side of the world. That happens a lot with, psych with Pisces dream time. So it's really important that you write these images down because later when you find out what they are, or you do a web search, you start asking around, you get some really profound experiences that way. Um, it's also a very good time to do some healing work on old wounds as Pisces tends to attract very nostalgic things. Um, I often think of the smushing rituals that Anwen Avalon suggested, which is like in, in a way of clearing away something old. So taking say a photograph of a relationship that's still, that the memory of it still hurts you, smushing it in water, putting the water out, uh, making sure that the picture disintegrates in the water before throwing it away. Um, or, you know, writing down a memory that was particularly painful, smushing that and throwing that away. But the, the challenge, I mean, this, even if something is decades old, this can be a very powerful working during this time, but it's really important to keep your intention firm because Pisces is very nostalgic. That energy can lead us to have a hard time of letting things go. So you can find yourself thinking about 
this relationship you had 15 years ago where they really left you with some baggage, you still find yourself working through, make sure you don't get stuck in thinking about that ex, like plotting your revenge, trying to find them on social media so you can write something evil on their wall. That's not what this time is about. This time is about bring it to the surface and then let it go. Um, make sure you make some room for tears. Don't criticize yourself. If you're crying over something someone said to you in the third grade, it's time for it to come up and go. Remember Neptune and Pisces, that's stuff from deep beneath the surface that needs to come on up and get and get gone and give you some freedom. So I also think this is a really good time to focus on finding inspiration or direction in your spiritual or magical journey. So doing a full moon ritual, asking the powers of Neptune or any of the lunar or oceanic deities, Neptune's not specifically um, a lunar deity, but because they rules the depth in the ocean, which is associated with Pisces, it's a good one to call in. But again, any lunar or oceanic deity is really good and helpful to, to bring this, this to you. And ask for them to help you find your way to the greater mysteries or go deeper into your witchcraft practice. If you have a specific ritual you do, anything will do. But sometimes just standing in that full moonlight, chanting the name of the god or goddess that you want to help you, and then asking them for that help is incredibly powerful. I've had some very powerful experiences just standing in my backyard chanting to Diana just because I want to feel that energy and get better in touch with her. So also in North America, the full moon in September is often called the harvest moon, but in one out of every three years, when the September full moon falls far ahead of the autumn equinox, it's called a corn moon. And guess what? This year is one of those unstandard years to no one's surprise. So this September full moon for 2020 is a corn moon, not a harvest moon. So this was a time that many people, native peoples of North America would begin their harvest, um, take, pick, uh, collecting crops such as pumpkin or squash, beans, wild rice, and of course, corn. So this is really a time to reap blessings and give thanks. Harvest holidays and harvest moons or corn moons really call for listing your blessings, just like we talked about some of this stuff at the Lunasa episode. So the, the universe and you are aware of all the wonderful things that are in your life. Really take some time to revel in the things that are going right for you and things that are giving you joy. Just really soak them up during this time. Think about how our ancestors all over the world would really feast and gorge during the harvest time as a way of preparing their bodies for winter. So imagine that you're going to soak up joy from this time so that you can carry it with you throughout darker times, particularly if you suffer from um, seasonal affective disorder, this doesn't cure it, but this may help it. Or just if you get, if the holidays make you really depressed, that's very common. Soaking up the joy from this time and carrying it with you throughout the darker times will be a benefit. So Another thing you can consider doing is charging your personal jewelry with blessings and joy to kind of carry the energy throughout the year. If you wear a pentacle, you wear a crystal, something you wear every day, get it out there in that moonlight with you or do several things where you go out at night and talk to this piece of jewelry, reminding it of all the blessings and joy you have in this in your life right now and really fill it up with the joy of the harvest season so it will carry you through the next few months and into the darker, the darker times. So a lot of great magic people can do right now. We have been in quarantine almost the entire month of August because it started on the third and we're not out of quarantine until the 28th. And so 
we've pretty much missed the entire month of August as far as anything that's happened in the world. And so, um, you know, with that came a lot of, you know, being, being terrified and being anxious and being scared and just flat out depressed. And one of the things I noticed is I kind of in the last week have started being like, okay, you know what, we're going to start getting dressed in the morning. We're actually going to get dressed instead of just wearing pajamas all day and then changing into different pajamas that evening. And so I started trying to, you know, kind of do that to kind of motivate myself to feel somewhat normal. And then I was doing that and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start wearing my necklace. And the funny thing about this necklace is I think Courtney bought it for me when we were like 19. I've literally worn it almost every single day. And the funny thing is, is I love necklaces. So I have a bunch that I've bought, but I never wear them because I always wear that necklace. And so there's people who will like recognize me in town and they only know me by that necklace. (laughs) And, and so, I mean, it is like a part of me. And so it, what was interesting to me was the day I started putting, I started getting dressed and I put the necklace on I felt me, I felt better. I felt more clear. I felt more calm. And so it was, so since then I've, I've started wearing it every day because I just, I get so much strength from it because it's just such a part of me. And, um, so I think I will definitely be charging mine with a full moon because I definitely think that, especially if you have you know, either something you carry on you or, or jewelry that you wear every single day, the energy you get from that is it's legit. Like it's, it's there, whether you are conscious of it or not, it, it, it brings you something, it gives you something. And I, every day that I wear it and people will be with me for the day and they'll see this for themselves every day, someone somewhere at a store or at a gas station or or walking around on the street in a park, someone will make a comment about how they like it. And oftentimes the comment will be followed up with some sort of a comment about how they like fairies. Oh, I went to this festival one time. Oh, there, I have this ghost story. And people will just start like spilling their guts to me about something of a, of a pagan nature. And then halfway through their story, they'll look at me and be like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Cause I'm an absolute stranger. But there's something about it that just people react to. Well, it's also a way of measure being careful because if that jewelry is attracting people to you that have, that are, are kind of, it's as if it's such an open vessel, I mean, even people like-minded people can sometimes carry some funk that you don't want and you don't need that coming into your life. You know, people's anxieties, there's some of their fears, there are other things. I have to say the funniest and most memorable moment that really was like, I was in urgent care because I was sick and it was the doctor and he was going on about this trip he'd taken to England and he and his wife and they had been and visited the fairy knolls and he's telling me all these stories about fairy lore that now he thinks he believes and 
and he's just going on and on. Meanwhile, I'm dying. Oh right? no, I'm, I'm dying. Cause of, cause of death. Doctor was curious about fairy. Yeah, like, doctor was like, talking to me about fairy. Can you just focus on like taking care of me first? And then oh, it was, I have a story that's less endearing, but of the same nature. So I was at the gynecologist. And I had on my pentacle and I'm never wearing my pentacle to the gynecologist's office again after this. Cause the doctor, like, I mean, I got my feet in the stirrups and she is, this is in New York. So she goes, so what's your necklace about? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, I'm a practicing Wiccan. And just as she's got the gloves on her fingers and she's doing the exam, like, she starts the exam. The moment she starts the exam, she goes, what exactly is a practicing Wiccan? And so, you know, I'm like, ah, um, you know, I, 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 that's a little complicated. <laughs> yeah, that happened. That, so yeah. Is that right? That's what it was. Called. I do. I do not wear my jewelry to doctor's offices anymore because I don't want to be in the stirrups with the speculum and there and the finger and then having to explain my religious practices. I'm just not doing it. You're like, mm, no, I am making you do it. And I am driving you to the doctor myself. Uh, uh, no, 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 you're not. That's that not going to happen. Hilarious. It's horrifying. And I can't believe I never told you that story. You're like, what? That, that is hilarious. And I'm going to film it and put it on the YouTube. That is disgusting. And you never will. Yeah. <laughs> But I would. Is it time for candles? I think it's time for candles. I think it's time for Hillary to talk about candles. Let's save our listeners from this shit show. We're going to talk about candles. So I have an amazing friend. Her name is Felicia. Um, She's like genuinely one of the most incredible humans I know. And in 2018, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And it's been a long journey for her in treatment and she's doing very well right now. And part of during this time for her, she started as a hobby, uh, making candles and it actually turned into something that has supported her through her cancer treatment, um, has helped pay for treatments and make sure she gets adequate and, and not just adequate, but exceptional care. And it's part of the reason that she's done so well because of that. And she has pre-orders right now for her fall collection. And not only does she have a fall collection, but she has a Disney collection. And the scents are crazy. Like, first of all, they're incredible scents, but also, I mean, they're made with so much love. She's just, like I said, the most incredible human that is just like magical and amazing and beautiful and radiates light. She's incredible. And that goes into her candle making. And she... These scents are there. They, they burn for a very long time. They burn very clean. And the scents really are, you know, they're the type of candles that when you light them, like your whole home just smells so good. I mean, she had a sleepy hollow candle. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I'm give, telling you couple, you. we'll give you a couple of examples just yeah. because I feel like, I feel like the, our listeners deserve to hear. So she has a Disney villains line and on that line, she has, uh, Maleficent, uh, Ursula, Cruella. She also has just like general, general Disney sense. And then she has Halloween Disney sense, including Haunted Mansion and Pumpkin Beignet, which I know Kanani ordered. Then her fall scents are for Halloween, Sleepy Hollow, which is smoke, suede, and, um, and oud wood. Um, Headless Horseman, which is leather, musk, wood, smoke, and real pumpkin. She has black river, black absinthe, butterbeer, and then she has classic fall scents. So 
They're awesome. Go support her. She's an incredible, magical human that deserves all of our love and support. And I'm so happy that she's doing well so far. And I'm just so grateful that that these candles help support her well-being. So like go buy all of her things from phil.com and we'll uh, we'll post it in. We'll post our links in the in our show notes. So get over there and get some candles like the rest of us who blew all our money on candles. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for bearing with us on what has been a very interesting beginning of our podcast. Um <laughs> We want to thank everybody and uh, let everyone know uh, that we have been posting all kinds of awesome stuff on Patreon. We also have three songs in entirety that Jenna let us put on our Patreon for her upcoming album that has not yet been released, which is amazing. Get in on that. It's so good. It's, I mean, the songs are amazing and I'm still kind of floored that she, you know, let us do that because they're so good. I was like that she agreed to come on our podcast because she's like an Emmy nominated composer and singer songwriter and amazing. So we lucked out. I don't know how to come on our podcast. And we actually wanted to give a shout out to our new Patreon uh, subscriber, Emily, who joined at the girlfriend, Kanani's girlfriend, boyfriend, and befriend level. And one of the things that we decided to add to that level, because we're so excited, is Courtney is actually going to draw a card for Emily. Yeah, and sorry guys if my mic sounds different. My cat unplugged it and uh, the recording will not pick up my, will not reconnect it. So I know I sound a little tinny right now, but you can blame my little black cat. Anyway, Emily, thank you for joining at the Kanani Girlfriend, Boyfriend, and Friend level. And your tarot card is, ooh, the magician. Okay, so when you get this card, it's a, it's a sign to, uh, to really you know, turn your magic all the way up, which is what Lisa Jade always says. Um, a really good time for reading. It's a card for um, a good card for writing. It's also a good card for being really honest about what you need people to hear. So the spirits really want you to take full force of your magic, dig into the things that really interest you and speak up and speak out. And again, sorry about my mic, y'all. So thank you, Emily, for joining our Patreon and going forward and any uh, new Patreon members who are at the 25 level, we, when you join the 25 level, we will give you a shout out on the podcast and Courtney will pull a card for you on the podcast. And uh, between now and the end of September, we are going to be donating uh, 10% of all of our proceeds to the United Way of Central Iowa for their storm relief efforts and for Habitat for Humanity of Los Angeles, uh, who is working on addressing housing needs across all of, all of California in the wake of the devastating fires. So 10% of our proceeds are going to be split between those two charities uh, who are doing really important, wonderful things right now. And um, with that, I would love to introduce our guest, who will hopefully be far more professional and ready to go than we ever were. Angel is a queer, non-binary, eclectic witch hailing from the New Orleans area, currently living in Salem, Oregon. They are one of the lead coordinators of the Wild Witches of the Willamette and co-host of the Science Witch podcast. They practice an eclectic style of witchcraft that incorporates herbalism, yoga, 
feminism, astrology, social and racial justice, Southern conjure, alchemy, ancestor reverence, Jungian theory and tarot, and is in a constant search for ways in which science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. Angel holds a master's of science in biology and ecology and has been employed in scientific fields for most of their adult lives and firmly believes that science and witchcraft are one and the same. They are an avowed my co-evangelist with the strong conviction that mushrooms will save the world. They have a spiritual connection to plants from a witchy and scientific perspective and enjoy identifying and teaching about plants we find on witch walks hosted by the wild witches. They also love to crochet, draw, and dance and can be found calling down the goddess at the monthly full moon drum circles. They also can be found in sci-fi, tabletop, RPG, and furry fandom circles and conventions. They are a scion of the Egyptian goddess of writing and science, Shishat, and feel their calling is to facilitate synergy between science and spirituality that will help humanity survive and evolve. Welcome, Angel. Thank you so much. Um, I've been a listener of y'all's podcast now since it began, so it's really awesome to be able to be a guest on it. You poor thing, you. <laughs> and yet you survived. I love this podcast. It's it's like become part of uh, my, my weekly routine now is to listen to y'all's podcast. And, and so I'm really honored to be actually a guest. So Angel, I, let's get, let's start by asking the question we ask everybody. So now since you actually, you listen to the podcast, you, you've known this is coming. I did. I'm so, prepared. All right. So when did you first realize you were a witch or a magical person? I always knew I was a witch and magical person. It just from the moment I, I I was always just a weird magical kid I have a really interesting birthday I was born on February 29th and so um, I've always just kind of had this sort of weird energy and then my mom's maiden name is Merlin and I've always had a fascination with the Arthurian tales and um my favorite show growing up was Disney's Gargoyles, and that show is amazing. It's actually on Disney Plus. If you happen to have not seen it, it's like probably one of the best shows in the in the nineties. But I always just had this fascination for fairies and the fae, and um, then um, I grew up in. Um, close to New Orleans, but in the surrounding areas. So it was still pretty, uh, Christian and conservative. So I wasn't really allowed to have like full expression of my witchy identity until, um, much later in my life. Um, but then when I was, uh, 14, I believe I watched the craft and of course that's like the gateway to all witches at least for, at least for the millennial witches the, yes. the geezer millennial witches those of us those of us that are long in the tooth were the ones that were were roped in by Feruza and friends 
Yes. I, I, I just, I saw that movie and I was just like this. I've been, I'm like, I actually found my 16 year old journal and I was talking about how I was a reincarnated Wiccan priestess, which tells you how much I actually knew about Wicca at that point. I, at 16, I decided I was Wiccan and I wasn't going to go to church with my mother anymore. And I tried to be outwardly Wiccan and growing up in a really conservative area. And I ended up getting a lot of, um, you know, just uh, bullying and, um, you know, religious oppression against me. And it, it caused me to kind of have a lot of trauma associated with, um, my, uh, witchy identity. And so I kind of subverted it and I was like strictly atheist from pretty much the entire time I was, um, in university. And then, um, I, you know, gradually kind of found my way back into witchcraft after a series of, you know, interesting events that happened to me. Uh, the, the specific event that really changed my whole perspective was um, I was in a PhD program and I was teaching out on the Hopi reservation and I was having a really painful like uh, cycle and out on the reservation, there's no place to go get you know, uh, painkillers or any kind of Tylenol at like 10 o'clock at night. And I was staying in housing, um, that the tribe provided. And so, um, I was just in so much pain and I had to get up the next day and teach like 64th or fifth graders from both the Hopi and Navajo nation. And I just was like, okay, well, please let me just go to sleep so I can teach these kids. And immediately I fell asleep and this, uh, Hopi woman came to me and she put a piece of corn on my tongue and spoke to me and my pain just went away. And I was able to wake up the next morning and teach all these fifth and sixth graders. And it was a really incredible, memorable experience, but that was kind of like my initiation into, okay, there's a lot more here than just this, you know, materialistic Richard Dawkins view of the world. Um, and so that's where I began to like reinitiate my studies into witchcraft. I dabbled in several different traditions and I went, um, to some witchcraft teachers when I was still living in, um, Phoenix, Arizona. And then, um, when I moved to Oregon, I, um, got to meet some really incredible witches up here, namely a moon dancer. She's sort of like my witchy older sister. And together with her, we started the wild witches of the Willamette. And, um, since then it's just continued to grow and I've continued to just, um, learn as much as I can about witchcraft while simultaneously, um, I have this background in science, you know, I, I, um, have been, you know, in grad school and of course I, you know, published peer reviewed journals. And when I was, um, in school, it, there was always this sense of like, you had to have this sort of detached, uh, unbiased opinion of all of your science. And I could never do that. I always sort of had just this deep emotional connection to the things I studied and, and the science and, um, suffice to say, I didn't make it through my PhD program, but, um, I was able to kind of like reconcile these two sides. And the more I've gone into witchcraft and studying more about witchcraft, the more I found that it really synergizes very well with science. And so like, that's sort of been 
one of the things I've been exploring with uh, the podcast I do with my co-host Iris is just all these ways that science and witchcraft interact and affirm one another. And um, so that's kind of like what my witchcraft is rooted in. And then I have a, a daily yoga and meditation practice that I also have a way of like incorporating into my practice. So, but yeah, that's kind of why I'm a witch now. You know, one of the things that I think is a big, a big fallacy is a lot of people think, you know, oh, well, if you're a witch, then you don't believe in science. And it's like, oh, contraire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I absolutely believe in science. And, and I think that when people kind of really look at the two and compare the two, like you said, there's actually a lot of ways in which they intersect. It's, it's, this is not an either or situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I've felt is that which is new about evolution, which is new about microbes, which is new about all of these, like, you know, biochemical concepts, they just didn't have the language that we do now. And so we, as witches in the 21st century, get to enjoy this. Uh, synergy between what science is able to show us as well as, you know, all these witchcraft traditions that we have access to thanks to the internet and, and books and podcasts. And the more I learn, the more it just completely synergizes. And I mean, I really think that just about everything in science and witchcraft can synergize. And there's just so much that they affirm one another. And this whole dichotomy between you can't be spiritual and scientific is just toxic. And we need to destroy it, especially if we are going to be able to move forward and um, survive late stage capitalism. No, I, 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 you know, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I think, I think you kind of put it in a really succinct way of, you know, we have to evolve. The the world is changing and life is changing and, and with science comes certain knowledge and, and, you know, medicinal knowledge and ways that we can help ourselves. And so sometimes it can be, you know, a little unnerving when, you know, like you get someone who comes up to you and asks you and says, Hey, you know, I have, I have cancer or I have leukemia or I have, you know, some sort of major ailment. And they're like, what kind of, you know, crystal can, can cure me? And it's like, well, let's go to the doctors first, you know, let's find things that can help you with your person and maybe help calm you and work with your stress and anxiety. But, you know, it's, this isn't either, or you can, you can take all of the, the wonder of science and utilize that to your advantage and let's let's use the things that we know and learn and then let's interwave that with things that can maybe help your help your soul and help your you know spiritual sense to get through what you're going to have to physically get through that science can help you with i once went on a retreat with a witch who decided not to bring their diabetic medication along because Mm. they thought that since we were doing all kinds of healing magic that weekend that they wouldn't need it and three days in, they had an episode. Um, yeah, so that's, <laughs> so 
science and magic are, yeah, it was very scary. So science and magic are very good friends. And, uh, especially when I'm saying this, cause a lot of atheists out there assume that I don't believe in anything that's scientific whatsoever. And it's like, no, actually science to me is, you know, a really blessed lover of witchcraft. They get along great. Yeah, one of the fields of science I feel that is just like you can't study it and not feel spiritual is mycology. And that's actually what I did most of my graduate work in. And, uh, you know, beyond just, of course, mycology is the study of mushrooms, beyond just the obvious psilocybin mushrooms, which, you know, we, we were going to talk about, but um, just the. <laughs> The idea that, you know, mycelium and fungi are so pervasive and they make up this giant network across the entire planet that connects all of these giant trees in these, you know, huge networks where they share energy and even the trees are, be, are able to actually care for their seedlings through this mycorrhizal network and, you know, fungi are all over the planet. They're, um, you know, plants came on lot, uh, on land with fungi and mycorrhizal fungi, you know, like, um, 200 million years ago. So, you know, fungi are this sort of cryptic, subtle, almost occulted form of life that is such a powerful force on this planet. Fungi are able to break down compounds that are so recalcitrant that nothing else in the on the planet can break them down. This is why you see, you know, uh, polypores on trees because the, the type of enzymes those polypores produce are the only enzymes in the world or that are known in nature that can cleave those lignin um, molecules. So the fungi are involved in breaking down um, all the organic matter, their uh, yeast that's found in our food and on our bodies, um, their um, giant mycorrhizal networks, and uh, the largest and oldest organism on the planet is actually a fungus, and it's the humongous fungus, which is an amarilla or uh, honey mushroom that is a actually pathogenic and it's in um northeastern Oregon and but it's the oldest and largest organism known on the planet so fungi are just this incredible you know like force of of nature that when you know you have a scientific and witchy understanding and appreciation of them it just changes your whole worldview on, you know, how we relate to the environment as well as our, even our own bodies. Mushrooms can teach us so much about resilience and adaptiveness. And, you know, when we ally ourselves with the fungal kingdom, there's so much more we can accomplish, like being able to break down the massive amounts of plastic waste or being able to build immunity in bees so they don't get the same colony collapse challenges and issues that they have. There's just so many ways that fungi actually want to help us. And um, this is something that Terrence McKenna talks about in his book, uh, Food of the Gods, that the fungal kingdom wants to have this discourse with us. They want 
to help save the world because if we blow up the planet, we kill all the fungi. The fun, the, you know, the fungal consciousness does not want to just die. It wants to continue. It wants to live on. And so it has these ways to, you know, interface with our, you know, human brain that when we actually pay attention to and listen to, I think there's a lot of like potential to heal so many things that capitalism and uh, colonialism has wrought on our, you know, modern day human psyche. What are, what are some of the ways that you have kind of studied mushrooms or what are some of you talk about uh, their magical properties and, and whatnot? How have you kind of used them in a magical sense? Well, one of the ways I like to utilize mushrooms in my magical practice is that um, I like to just be sitting in nature under a tree and, you know, close my eyes and ground myself and sort of connect with the ground. And then, you know, with my scientific background, I know that there are, you know, thousands and millions of fungal cells right under my feet in the soil that are providing all of these incredible services by breaking down the soil and causing the soil to be able to hold moisture and connecting all the trees. So just having that awareness and being able to like take my consciousness down into the fungal network. And um, when I'm doing that, the meditation, I think Starhawk talks about where you, you know, you picture yourself as a tree. I like to take that even further and picture myself as the tree and the roots and then going down into the fungal networks and expanding out into the soil. And then with mycorrhizal fungi, it's such a beautiful um, symbiosis where the tree gives the fungal partner, which interfaces at the root level. So the, the fungus grows around the roots. And at that exchange point, the tree gives the fungus carbon from its above ground photosynthetic activities. And in exchange, the fungus gives the um, plant gives the tree extra nutrients that it's able to scavenge from the soil. So one of my models for divine that has been useful for me is that we are like mycorrhizal fungi and the divine is like the tree. So if we give our divine tree uh, you know, the symbiotic relationship and we feed the tree good things like our art, our music, our creation, our um, static dance. If we feed the tree, the divinity, the, the tree invests more energy into us and there's more of a reciprocal relationship. But if we don't feed the tree and we, you know, cut ourselves off from the divine, then the tree stops investing in that and it just becomes a sort of almost parasitic relationship. So that's been a way of for me to kind of like use as a like a spiritual model for you know when I'm feeling angry or you know resentful or petty or, or having these emotions which you know you have to stand you, you, I'm not being like all good vibes only but you know I I I take a moment to, to be in those feelings. And then I remember that I want to continue to feed the divine with this 
energy of, you know, art and music and, you know, podcasts and books and writing. And, you know, and by having this symbiotic reciprocal relationship with the divine, the divine again, in return feeds and nourishes me. That's like, I, I, I don't even know what to say. That's like such a perfect analogy to describe kind of, I think the relationship between, you know, people and people in the divine. I mean, you're, it's either, it's either a mutual relationship or it's just not. And you're just kind of utilizing all the resources without actually giving thanks and, and having any, you know, reciprocal, you know, relationship. That's just, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to ponder that for a while because that was like, wow. I feel like we're going to mushroom church and I just want to praise and worship. I know. I'm just like, my brain is just like. That's why I call myself a mycoevangelist. Well, now from now on, whenever I I hear that song, take me to church, I'm just going to imagine this big, beautiful mushroom rising out of the ground and all of us weeping. Yeah, there it is, y'all. You have your new image when that song comes on Spotify or at the gym or we never go to the gym anymore. Never mind. Whenever you hear that song at the grocery store. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. It's hilarious. So one of the things that you mentioned, you've mentioned a few times, and I'm not going to say it properly. It's the potentially medicinal part of plants. And fungi. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, yes. Okay. So um, I think you're referring to the, the psilocybin initiative here. Okay. So here in Oregon, we have the opportunity to be the first place in the United States that actually legalizes psilocybin therapy. And so uh, in November... Um, there will be on the ballot. So if any uh, listeners out there who are registered Oregon voters, you get the opportunity to potentially help pass this groundbreaking um, you know, legislation to be able to legalize psilocybin therapy. And um, so by legalized psilocybin therapy, I mean that it will create a statewide licensed psilocybin therapy program. And the best thing about this is like once this, if this passes, you don't have to be an Oregon resident to be able to access it. So, and you don't have to have any diagnosis. It will be just a matter of, um, you first have the step to screen you for any kind of contra um, indication that you might not be able to respond well to the psilocybin therapy. And then the psilocybin therapy will actually last um, a whole day where you're actually in a, you know, specified licensed facility and they monitor you and they're able to like walk through this whole process because, um, one of the things in our society where, you know, in Western society, psilocybin has been just this party drug. It's like magic mushrooms, man. Like, you know, we, we just, we haven't treated it with the proper respect. And that's been... I was going to say, could you kind of like tell everybody like what is psilocybin? So psilocybin is the psychoactive compound that's found in psilocybe or uh, psychedelic mushrooms. And um, there's uh, a psilocybin 
seven species of mushrooms found throughout the world. And it was used by ancient cultures, specifically in Southeast Asia and in uh, Mesoamerica as a sacrament. And um, so the peoples of, you know, both the ancient world um, and the Americas had been using this as a powerful medicine where in order to take it, you had to go to a, a, a medicine person and they would administer it. And um, in the 1950s, um, a banker went over to um, this village in Mexico and um, paid a lot of money to get uh, the first mushrooms and then went back to our first mushrooms that Western, um, you know, Americans had access to. And then he went back to um, the United States and he wrote about his experience in Life magazine. So this was actually published in Life magazine in the 1950s. And then from there, it just basically opened the doors to this entire counterculture, um, you know, pilgrimage down to Mexico to visit with Maria Sabina, who is the original medicine woman who um, gifted these mushrooms. And it, it caused a lot of harm because of all of the, you know, hippies that were basically just spiritual bypassing so they could take the mushrooms back to the United States and, um, you know, use them for partying and such. So it, it, since the beginning, um, the Western cultures sort of um, interaction with these mushrooms has been uh, problematic. But once the mushrooms were um, discovered and incorporated, there were some early studies in the 1950s that found it psilocybin had amazing potential to help uh, cure alcoholism um, and um, depression and various other ailments, like specifically alcoholism, which um, there are some early studies that um, indicated that there was something like 80% success rate. And so then in the 1960s, of course, with Timothy Leary and, um, you know, the, 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 the cultural revolution, all of these incredible compounds were basically forced underground and made illegal because the, well, you know, um, Michael Pollan talks a lot about this entire history in his book, How to Change Your Mind. But basically, Timothy Leary didn't really do psychedelics very many favors, and it caused basically this hysteria and panic around it. So it was made a Schedule One substance in, um, I believe, in the 1970s. And so um, research continued, even though this substance is still considered federally illegal and is uh, recently as um, the last, you know, uh, five to 10 years, they've found psilocybin has this incredible potential for helping treat anxiety, depression, people who have cancer at the end of their lives were able to find this peace and serenity. And um, even for those of the people who, who don't have any kind of illness, um, there was a paper that was published in uh, 
2006 that was entitled psilocybin can occasion mystical experiences having substantial and sustained personal meaning and spiritual significance and this was a study that was done by rr griffins at john hopkins university and basically they surveyed um these people who took psilocybin in a controlled environment and almost the entire population of patients reported to have like incredible life changes just from like one session of psilocybin. So it has this incredible potential to have, um, you know, a, you know, with, with what we have is the, the mental health issues in our country where one in five Americans and nearly 50 million people have been diagnosed with some kind of mental issue or mental um, illness. And the pandemic, of course, has exasperated this to the point where, you know, we're, we're all kind of at the point where all of us are going to need therapy. So, you know, this, this treatment has such incredible possibilities when we are able to utilize it in a therapeutic setting and treat it with the respect it deserves. There's so much research to support the so use much. of psilocybin and um, in its treating and things like that, you know, pharmaceuticals have just not been able to touch like uh, eating disorders. They found that it's able to treat eating disorders because what psilocybin does is it, it it's like one of the things that, um, you know, I'm, bo I'm borrowing this from Michael Pollan, but he talks about how our brains are kind of like, uh, they get settled in what we call the default mode network. And so it's like a, a snowy hill where we just keep going down the same grooves in our, you know, um, sled. And so the more you go down those grooves, the more those grooves are sort of of, you know, um, they're deepened in our brains. And so basically those grooves represent um, ideas of depression and anxiety and thoughts of, you know, ideation of suicide, things like that. Those are every time our brains kind of go in that direction, it just kind of further deepens those grooves. What psilocybin does is shake all that up. It basically, you know, uh, activates parts of our brains that aren't activated in normal consciousness and it allows us to kind of have this clean slate where we can sort of reapproach the way that our minds have been working in ways that have harmed us. So in, in cases of like people who have been able to kick their smoking habit, they, during their, their psilocybin trip, or one of the women talked about how when she went into her psilocybin trip, she saw her smoking habit as this like angry, like, coughing demon and she was literally able to confront it and say no I don't want you in my life anymore and when she came out of the trip she said she couldn't even be around a cigarette anymore so and I mean this was all just you know a psilocybin trip and in her head but yet she was able to overcome one of the most difficult addictions known to humankind through this this therapy and this medicine and so and and then of course with you know eating disorders you you can the the people who were in these studies were able to look at the way that they were treating their body and and have this completely new perspective that they were not able to have before so there's just such an incredible potential for this therapy to be able to heal so many things that 
have just become so toxic about our modern day lives and late stage capitalism. And so I've been involved in the campaign since um, the beginning. And I'm really, really hoping that, you know, if it passes in November, um, after the two-year review period where uh, we're going to make sure that we have the licensing process down and making sure that, you know, the testing labs and the therapists that are going to be giving the treatments have all the proper credentials. But once that two-year period is over and we actually are able to have psilocybin therapy in Oregon, it's going to be this huge opportunity for anyone. Anyone can come to Oregon and have this therapy is provided that you're, you know, of age and you meet the requirements in terms of like health. Um, but it's, it's, it's available. And hopefully this will sort of began this new era of reapproaching mental health in a way that more people can access this powerful medicine to help make their lives better. I'm excited for that to happen. The thing about psilocybin is that there's really no reason the mushroom needs to produce psilocybin. Like, uh, and Michael Pollan talks about this in his book. It's like, if, if psilocybin was meant to just, you know, deter bugs from eating the, the, the fruiting bodies of the mushroom, cause that's where the psilocybin is located. Then it would be in the mycelium, which is actually the, the, the body, the vegetative body of the fungus, which you usually don't see because it's this network of, um, what we call hyphae or th fungal threads in the soil that you don't usually see. But the psilocybin that these mushrooms produce is in the actual fruiting bodies or the mushrooms. And, um, um, there's not really any sort of interaction other than this sort of psychedelic communication. And, you know, we're not the only species that eats mushrooms. Cows eat mushrooms, monkeys will eat mushrooms. And, um, you know, the, the, I, I, I would be remiss without mentioning Terrence McKenna's theory of the stoned ape theory, where he um, posits in Food of the Gods that our consciousness evolved because our ancient ancestors on the African savannas ate psychedelic mushrooms, and that these psychedelic mushrooms allowed us to be able to form complex thoughts and abstract thoughts and be able to have language and form religion. So, you know, uh, there's not a lot of like strong support, I guess you could say for this idea, but, um, you know, there, there's not a lot of support against it either. I mean, our, our, our ancestors, you know, our, our pre-human ancestors were living in the um, savannas of Africa and they would have had access to these, uh, mushrooms. And of course, you know, other, um, animals do eat them. So, I mean, it's just sort of an interesting idea to think about is that we're human because of this interaction with psychedelic mushrooms and that it gave us this ability to have abstract thought and even religion. I love mushrooms, so I'm not going to blame them for religion, but I... Well, spirituality. I should say spirituality because I don't know religion. Religion is. I don't want to. I don't want to do that to them. That's not. That's not fair. They're too tasty. Yeah. If people want more information, um, IP. That's um, I is an igloo. P is in um, peas. Um, Thirty four. 
org is the website and um, I, I can send that to y'all for your show notes but um, yeah and um, there's lots of other information and where you can connect more with the initiative and, and learn more about psilocybin and, this, and the research that backs its use as well. I think that you know I think that especially when we talk about uh, you know quote unquote drugs that are, you know, that actually come from plants that actually derive from things that come in nature. I think that, like you said, sometimes they kind of get a bad rap because people abuse them in ways that they clearly necessarily weren't intended for. And, and so then, you know, medicine and science and doctors just kind of cast it off as, as, you know, something that's just bad. And it's kind of nice to see that now they're kind of coming back into the fold of, well, there actually was a use for this. There actually is a medicinal purpose for this. So maybe let's go back to figuring out what that is and educate people on it. And, and instead of just pretending like it's bad or it doesn't exist, let's really start using the things that nature has provided for us to help us. Right. And the psilocybin is non-toxic. It's not addictive. Um, the, the bad experiences people have with it is because they didn't respect it. So, you know, Timothy Leary talks about how set and setting is so important when you're taking psilocybin, whereas you want to make sure that you're in a safe environment and you want to make sure that your mindset is not in a really dark place. But then if you have someone that's a licensed therapist guiding you, you through this whole experience. If you do go to a dark place, they're there to help you and, and, and talk you through it. And then you can find healing, like deep, powerful healing. So think about like just shadow work, but to the point where, you know, like months and months and months of shadow work that you're able to do in one session, because you're able to like take your, your mind and put it in a state of consciousness that it doesn't get to be in on a normal occasion. And that's sort of the function of ritual and spell work is to, to bring our consciousness to this new level. So being able to access this therapy and this medicine for the specific purpose of healing ourselves on the spiritual level, it has such incredible potential and I'm so excited to be a part of it and be here in Oregon where we may very well be the first state to allow this groundbreaking therapy to be accessible to anyone. Uh, we actually have a listener question that we were going to present and maybe get some opinions from you on as well. Uh, the question was, hello, witches. I just wanted to reach out and say your podcast has helped me understand myself and the power I have. Yay! I was wondering if there is a ritual or spell that could be done before the average school year starts. I teach fifth grade and our district has decided that we will open face-to-face -face with full class sizes in my state which is currently experiencing a spike in COVID-19. I have an underlying condition as well as my father and friend who have serious conditions that teach in my district. I'm facing either risking my life, my family's life and well-being, or losing my job. I invested years of time and tens of thousands of dollars into my career. I would love any positive vibes, spells, rituals, etc., that would help guide our leaders and send healing and safety our way. I have learned a lot and plan on having a lemon balm plant or seven in my classroom as well as 
crystals in each corner. I will keep it a secret, of course, or always call it decor if I get a crazy parent who is anti-witchcraft, which I've had in the past. If the need arises, I am proud to be a patron supporter and wish you all the best for the rest of this crazy year. That's such a hard... I just really feel for this listener. It's like, I know I have a few close friends that are also teachers and it's just, it's a really hard thing because on one hand, they really would want to get back to their job. And on the other hand, they don't feel totally safe doing so. And then it's, you know, they're in a situation where in some districts they're, they don't have an option. It's like they go back or they lose their job. So I really, really feel for this listener. And I'm just sorry that you're in that situation. Um, you know, I mean, as we, of course, we've mentioned on here before, you know, we, you know, magic can't, it is no replacement for medicine or medical precautions. However, I'm a big fan of any sort of protection in general, just for life. And especially now we're not just dealing with the virus, but we're also dealing with everything, all of the, uh, the heightened emotion and energy that everyone is carrying with them because, of everything we've all been through that those anxieties that the parents feel with their kids going, the kids having their life really flipped upside down. I can't imagine what it's like to be a kid right now. So I'm all for, you know, some crystals and some lemon balm to just, I would say focusing on grounding and, and energetic protection. Because again, I think that our, our world is energetically chaotic right now. And so I personally am consistently using these things to using different elements to protect myself from that because we get bombarded with it everywhere. So, and if that brings you comfort and grounding, that's not a bad thing. You know, like that, that is, that is completely positive in my mind. Yeah. Um, I really, my heart goes out to this listener because that is such a difficult thing. Um, you know, I have taught throughout the course of my graduate career and I love teaching. Um, but you know, there's, it's so much work. And on top of the fact that it's already an incredibly difficult and often thankless job. And I am speaking as, um, the daughter of a retired drama teacher, um, that, you know, you just pour so much of yourself into this job and then, you know, you don't get the resources or the support. And then on top of that, having to deal with this pandemic with, you know, a bunch of let's say fifth and sixth graders. So that's like 13, 14 year olds, Oh my goodness. Um, you are an incredibly, you know, um, amazing witch to continue to do what you do. And so, um, yeah, just, I pray every day to the goddess for protection. I ask, I pray for protection of my family, my friends, my community, um, my partners, um, I pray and, um, I, I try to ritualize my hand washing to the point where like I use it as like a 20 second, like meditation of just like, you know, um, feeling like really taking myself and making myself present. And then, um, I love that idea, by the way. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's like helped me, you know, get through this whole pandemic. Cause, um, you know, washing your hands and wearing a mask are the, the two things that we know 
help um, reduce the spread of COVID. And so, um, you know, just finding ways to witchify, <laughs> as the um, Southern Fried Witch says, witchify everything, just finding ways to witchify those small little basic science um, validated common sense ideas and putting them into your practice, I think is incredibly powerful in helping us survive this. And then, you know, just making sure you take care of yourself. One of the things I do is every time I get home, cause I, um, you know, I'm still working, I'm an essential worker. And, um, the first thing I do is I, I, I don't wear my shoes inside the house. I take off my mm-hmm. shoes yeah. and I take a shower usually when I, as soon as I get home and, um, that's been really helpful because when I'm showering, I try to, I call my ancestors, I call my guides, I call my allies down to protect me in this time. And I just like cleanse myself on both a physical and spiritual level. Um, but like I said, even the way as much as exposure as I have um, working where I do, I still don't have the amount of risk that you have being a teacher, a listener. So, um, you know, just try, you try to do your best. And um, as we've seen, a lot of these schools, as soon as they open, they end up closing. So um, maybe just like, you know, have that in mind if this happens and have that backup plan so that, you know, if it does come to a point where they open and they have to immediately close, you still have this ability to um, reach your classroom. And I love lemon balm. Lemon balm, of course, is a really useful, uplifting herb. It has a lot of limonene and it's um, it, it's very easy to grow. So having like plants, I think just in general is always a good policy if you can keep them alive. And it always like increases people's moods and and whatnot. So, and if those give you strength, then yes, because if you feel fortified and confident and you're able to practice these, uh, you know, common sense, um, like washing your hands, making sure everyone wears a mask and keep social distancing. If you can like confidently, um, encourage that and keep that, then, you know, the kids will see that and they'll, they'll definitely model you. The one thing I want to add to this is is that if if, try to figure out if you have ancestors who were healthcare workers or some kind of guardians and call on them to show you the way. Um, Also, if you have, I'm also hearing, you know, see if you have um, ancestors who are educators because you won't be the first educator who had to teach during a spat of illness Um, and and ask them for some help. And, you know, or um, I don't know if you work with a specific pantheon, but most god or goddess pantheons have healer gods or goddesses. So invoking them for some assistance as well. And um, perhaps setting up something outside your front door to catch the energy as it's going in and out. I know David, she has recommended keeping thistle beside your, um, on either side of your front door, which is an invasive plant. You should be removing it anyway. So that could be something to use, or even some people keep a bowl of water and they kind of tap it before they go in the house. And that's just a way of, of, um, of keeping energy off of you that might leave you more susceptible to illness. But again, 
best, the best, the best uh, form of protection are masks and hand washing. A hundred percent. I also really like blackberry um, because as protection, uh, you can make a wreath out of uh, blackberries because they're thorny. They like kind of ward things off. So that can be a good way to keep energy energy that you don't want out. But I agree. If you, if you bolster those common sense things, like washing your hand, wearing masks, taking the precautions with these energetic things, hopefully that'll set you up to be successful. You know, I've mentioned it before. My husband is a teacher. We have lots of friends who are teachers, uh, and a lot that actually aren't teachers, but work in schools. And so this is a very real thing. It's very, very difficult. And so practice self-care and and know that this isn't okay. It's incredibly stressful, and it's okay for you to not be okay. Um, and you know, we can all just kind of hopefully help each other, and you know, do what we can do to get through this time. And hopefully, there's a lot of things that we will learn from this. I think I'm hoping that one of the big lessons that we learn as a society from this, particularly in this country, which other countries seem to have figured out which is it's not helpful to be an asshole because you depend on your neighbors and it matters what you do and it matters what they do. So maybe be a good person and then we can all live in a much more harmonious environment. So I I think there's a lot of unfortunate lessons that this country had to learn, um, which had gotten very, me just very selfish, just very me oriented. And this has kind of forced people to acknowledge that what's happening at your neighbor's house matters and making sure your neighbor's okay matters because it's actually going to determine whether or not you're okay. So Angel, we really want to thank you for joining us this, uh, joining us for this episode. I think that this was, it's, it's kind of funny. I must feel like this was a very cathartic episode um, and it started out as a dumpster fire. So know that you're the only, only reason that it got good. So, <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, I, we can't thank you enough. I'm very excited about, about the initiative that's coming up in November, how you kind of will post the website for people to learn more about the initiative, but how can people keep in touch with you specifically? How can they find you? Yeah. Um, so I have a podcast with my co-host Iris. It's called the science, Witch podcast, and you can find it's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, we, we started it together after, um, the pandemic hit and I've just, you know, been channeling all this latent academic energy into this podcast and, you know, coming up with ways to help people survive with witchcraft and science. Um, also if you are, uh, in the Willamette Valley or Oregon in general, um, check out the wild witches of the Willamette on Facebook. It's, um, a group I help coordinate and we're witches, we're wild. It's eclectic. Um, we're, you know, uh, pro black lives matter, racial justice, LGBTQ friendly, you know, and, and very witchy. And um, we uh, host witch walks and we have witchcraft alongs and um, other various events. And then uh, me personally, you can uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm um, Angel Kitty. That's A-N-J-E-L-K-I-T-T-Y. And I, um, 
I post pictures of plants, a little bit of my art, um, mostly plants and places I go. But um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we want to thank all of our listeners for listening. And if you want to support the show, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. You can buy us a coffee or check out the merch on our Etsy store. For extra bonus content, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Hey, we We should thank our listener who sent in a question. We should say thank you for being a patron. Yes, thank you, Emily, for joining too, actually. And Angel's a patron. And then Angel's a patron. And the listener who sent in the COVID question is also a patron, so thank them too. That's right. And we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question to answer on our future episode, you can go to thatwitchlife.com. And until then, keep moting that shit, and we'll talk to you next week. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So what it be. I'm going to call him. It makes him so mad when I do that. <laughs> you don't leave the bedroom. You just call him. It's so furious when I call him in the same house. Why are you calling me? We're in the same house. Yeah, it's so mad. I'll, I'll put him on speaker. Why are you calling me? I know. That's the quote, of, the quote of Kanani of the year. Why are you calling me? Oh, that's so bad. Oh, my God. That was so funny. Really. I wish the son of a bitch doesn't even answer. Yeah. Hey, Courtney yeah. said that you're hiding cookie frosting from me. <laughs> Frosting. No. Yeah. No, Pizza Hut was supposed to send you guys cookie frosting. Oh, they didn't. <gasps> I'm suing. I, sp- I paid 75 cents. I paid 75 cents for you guys to have cookie frosting. Oh, uh, well, I think you'll be all right. <laughs>